The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You're listening to the Fade to Gray Network. You have revivals and conventions and have conferences. The Fade to Gray Network presents you with a free online conference called the Big Tent Revival. Coming to you on May 16th through 17th, we'll have interviews with Rick Allen Ross, Robert Munson, David and Lisa Lunsford, Carl Idlewild and Renee Ocean, Aaron Weiss, Ukulele Russ. Get a behind-the-scenes look at a recording of the Fade to Gray podcast, interact with Foreign Toe podcast, enjoy a game of movies that molded me, check out Mental, and don't forget, a comedy set with Amanda Martin. This is not something you want to miss. Awesome. Welcome back to Open Mic. And that sweet, melodic voice that you were just hearing is a dear friend of mine, Jonathan Ruel, who we get a chance to speak with today and catch up with because this Woo. is truly, truly a dear friend. Um, Jonathan played at mine and Elizabeth's wedding um, 11 years ago. And before that, um, he was playing. I met him as he was playing worship music at probably one of the best church experiments that I was part of until it all fell apart like much of them do and um, I just remember the music was so raw and so real and at that point I was really into the dead and fish and like they had like a real jam band style and I was like okay hold on hold on the normal person's not going to know who the dead are. Oh, come on. The normal person knows who the dead are. The grateful <laughs> goddamn dead. Um, there you go. <laughs> Jerry Garcia. Yes. Um, so anyway, so like, I mean, basically the, the point of that is if you're used to church music, it's like four chords and like the same kind of like beat always. And they were just doing GCDC. <laughs> they were just doing something <laughs> new and something different. And, and he's a true artist. Um, him and his wife. Um, we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, we do a lot of all different t- forms of art, whether it be, you know, Jonathan's the musician, but they have, they get into, um, painting, freehand drawing, pencil, pen. I mean, all different forms. We'll let him describe that later. Anyway, this dude's awesome. Um, probably one of the most brilliant songwriters I've ever known. In fact, I'm going to play a clip right now that show you how brilliant I think he is. You might get drunk if you drink wine and you're drinking all. If you drink wine, then you might get drunk. If you drink wine and you're drinking all. If you drink wine, then you might get drunk. If you drink wine and you're drinking all. If you drink wine, then you might get drunk. Well, if you drink wine and you drink enough, if you drink wine, then you might get drunk. If you drink wine and you drink enough, if you drink wine, then you might get drunk. If you drink wine and you drink enough, if you drink wine, then you might get drunk. If you drink wine and you drink enough, if you drink wine, then you might get drunk. If you drink wine and you drink enough, if you drink wine, then you might get drun
you drink enough, if you drink wine, then you might get drunk. If you drink wine and you drink enough, if you drink wine, then you might get drunk. So so deep. <laughs> so let's talk about that, Jonathan. Like, what goes into I, like the the songwriting process? <laughs> I I totally forgot that. Oh man. Yeah, that one didn't. That one didn't survive that era. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I have played that on repeat many times. Um, it was a whole improv set, um, and oh, obviously man. with with the Pentecostals, I mean they're all about their their wine, getting drunk in the yep. spirit, which yep. I never really understood. I never never worked for me. Yeah. So it's it's funny. Like I'm not gonna lie to you, Jonathan. There like there were many times where I was just singing about drinking wine at that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're going to take a metaphor and, and throw it out there, you better be prepared for it to be, you know, taken different ways. That's good. At least it's logical. Yeah, you know? it's true. <laughs> There's sort of a cause effect relationship going on. <laughs> man, wow. I love I, so man, there's your intro. I, there's your intro. I, I cannot believe that. <laughs> that's all. That's great. <laughs> Oh man. Uh huh. So yeah, we have you on open mic, um, and it's it's a joy. Let's um kind of just start, cry, uh, like I said earlier, cryologically. So we're gonna start from the the coldest song you have and move to the warmest note chronologically. Right. Sorry. Ah, <laughs> uh, let's see. I want to know because 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 I mean. Back in that era, what what year would you say that was? About two thousand or ninety nine? Um, was it that long ago? When when I played wow. the, the drink wine little clip that you guys just heard. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Yeah, we'll see. I think I met you through Scott Bowen, who I met in a laundromat because he had a a Grateful Dead sticker on his truck that had a cross on it, and uh, <laughs> that's that's how that all started. <laughs> Um, but, uh, okay. Those. So do you remember those? Yeah. So, um, I guess that era would have been, I mean, I started writing songs when I was young in high school. I, I had a breakup that is what kicked me into serious writing, which is the case for many songwriters. Um, but, but what kind of music were you into when you're in high school? Like what, what are your influences? I want to know that first. Well, okay. Here's the thing. Um, my dad and mom are have very good musical taste. So I was I was raised on Dylan and the band and the Beatles and just like a lot of very you know good songs and good songwriting. Uh I hated Dylan for years. I didn't I did not I did I didn't get him growing up. I hated him and I had a his voice is not great. <laughs> There is that. Um, <laughs> you can only like small doses. Small doses of Dylan is, is good. Well, see, it's one of those things like if you drink wine, like if you get enough of it, <laughs> at some point, something will switch in your brain. If you haven't been there yet, you you, you, you need to go until you get that place because it's, it's, it's very similar. Um, and I, I, and I, I had that, I had that moment in high school where all of a sudden I got Dylan and I mean, you can't get Dylan, but something switched in my brain that I went from whatever to this is stunning. Um, yeah, certainly the so, lyrics are oh, incredibly man. deep and, and meaningful and worth the listen, yeah. you know, for sure. And he, he actually, he's brilliant at the delivery of phrases like the way he the way he times and handles himself in the in in uh yeah so there's yeah so so that's what i grew up on that stuff in high school i was listening to that and pop music i I love pop music too so like that was kind of those two sides of things and i really didn't know anything wider than that at that point i don't think i'd heard reggae before my sophomore year in high school which is i don't know how i survived that like how i got there <laughs> um but yeah so in some ways it was pretty rich background musically but then there are huge gaps too so 
So Bob Dylan and then like whatever popular song was out, like, like, I don't really know how old you are, but I'm guessing, uh, <laughs> okay. So I'm guessing pop music at that time would be like Michael Jackson. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was, that okay. was, okay. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And were your parents taking you to any live shows? You said that they were really into some really good music. And so yeah. were you able to like catch any of these bands live at the time? Like as far as influence I, goes or, um, yeah. I, I asked that because, or was most of your live music experience like in a church where your parents also religious? Uh, they were, but they they were more progressive. So the way that music related to faith was very different than say my friends that would have been like kind of the, the milieu that you, I met you in. So primarily the music that was appreciated in that world, in that, in that church world was more like folk and not, not, not religious folk, just folk in general. So we went and, we went and saw lots of like folk festivals and that sort of thing. Um, Did you ever get to see Keith Green? No. (laughs) No, no, no. Like, I didn't know about him until long after he was dead. What about David Grishman? No. Never. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. So that was, uh, yeah. And, and, and actually, by the time I met you, I had, I had rebelled from my roots and my progressive roots and had gone more conservative. And that's kind of when I got into the whole worship music. And that's kind of when I met you, that's when I would, that's where I would have been. So I just kind of, uh, like the thing that was kind of in, it, from my personal experience, the thing that was sort of lacking in the, in that religious context for me as a musician was there was not a sense of sort of the mystical experience. Um, and so, so that's, I mean, art, if, if you dug into the artists, of course, like most great artists have some idea of the mystical or something happening beyond them. Um, I mean, there's exceptions, but many do. But, but in terms of how the average person that I knew thought about music and art and stuff, it was very sort of pragmatic and prosaic. And, and, and so that's part of what drew me to like that whole world that I met you in was like people expecting something sort of mysterious and mystical and cosmic to happen in the music like that. And that was just, that was, uh, yeah, pretty big deal for me. So that's partly, yeah, how I got into that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it definitely was an experience. It it molded me. Like, and just in preparing for this interview, I was realizing going back that like, I would still say that was probably the most impactful time i mean i went on to do everyone probably knows my story if you haven't heard it go back and listen to season one mine was with talk about cult life but uh you know so i went on to have a lot of other religious experiences but that was just so pure at that point for me i didn't i didn't know anything i wasn't in church leadership i was just some kid some kid that was getting high wanting to be accepted and all of a sudden i can go to church and have like like you said an experience because for me that's what music and art has always been it's always been yeah like it's like, always touched me in a way that nothing else could and so yeah um i mean you got me like uh jesus used you brother <laughs> it was like i mean i i had no other reason to be there other than like it was really good music you know scott bowen like you mentioned second shout out to him he was an old deadhead who had turned mm-hmm. christian and like really kind of had that whole evangelical thing i guess you could say where he took uh steal your face took out the lightning bolt and put in a cross and so that's it and uh i I had a handful of those stickers really cool idea met jonathan through that and then we actually got to have a true experience you know in, in the church building so thank you for that and was that the first time um that you experienced like uh were you recording anything before then or because Chris was asking, we were wanting to know kind of where this all started. And for me, it seems like for me, it seems like you didn't have any albums when I first knew you. And then I kind of followed your career after after that. And there's a few we'll get into. And, and the album now, um, I still have on my computer, and I'd go back to it and listen to it every once in a while. Um, so, um, so yeah. 
how did you get into recording and what was like your first album? Was it religious then? Yeah. Um, okay. So a few things that context I think would help the, all the specifics sort of fit in better. Um, over the years, like songwriting has been the consistent thing for me. So um, I like, I write all the time. It's the, probably the longest gaps in songwriting in my life have been maybe a couple months uh, on a normal, on a, you know, and that's been since high school. So, so for me, songwriting is, is just part of how I live and how I deal with reality and how I, it's, it's just, it's part of life for me. So that's always been primary and any sort of playing out and recording and everything has always been secondary for me. Um, and so, I mean, the majority of songs I write, nobody ever hears, but then, you know, from time to time, it, I really do like to try to get them out. <laughs> so I actually had had two records before I met you, okay. um, which I would not have shared with you. <laughs> um, so, and those, those, I mean, I kind of would say that I can pretty clearly delineate my musical life into three or four sections. The first one I was playing completely in churches and I was writing songs for Christian young people. Like that was my context. And that was, I was, that was for me at that season of my life was completely authentic and very meaningful and helpful. And that's what I did. Um, and then I discovered worship music and that's when the whole mystical thing was like, there was just kind of this hunger for, things to be more outside of myself, like less didactic and less just trying, you know. Um, and so I discovered worship music and I dove headlong into that. And for a season of years, pretty much most of what I wrote was worship music. So in other words, and when I say that, I mean, the songs were generally prayers of some sort addressed to God in some way. Like that was the focus of why I was writing them was as a, a means to try to communicate with the divine. Were there particular worship artists that really influenced you at that point? Kevin Prosh, probably like the Oh yeah. The one. That'd probably be the only one. I love music that, Kevin Prosh. Yeah. Whatever happened like, to him? I you know, I've been trying to track him down because I have a friend who wants to interview him and do some stuff and he's like shoot like over the years i've i know some people have done records with him and stuff um but he's he, at the moment i don't know if he's hiding or what but he's <laughs> he's not he's, he's not easy to find at the moment but i i'm on a quest and i have a lead so we'll see <laughs> what well, well, kevin come out of the woodworks because i'd love to talk to you too man <laughs> oh man I, it'd be fun to have him on there so yeah. um so that's for the listener doesn't know who that is because he wasn't like in real popular circles. No. Um, would you say like he did a lot of like, how would you describe the music? Like kind of like prophetic, uh, definitely, yeah. definitely folky, but his, his lyrics were always like, he did, he did a lot of improvisational stuff. He, he had some pretty strong world music, um, elements. Like he, his drummer was pretty amazing percussionist that, that, pulled from a lot of different sort of cultural uh different traditions in his work so like there was some pretty pretty rich stuff happening there um and i also liked about him he he had two bands he did worship and he also played clubs and stuff and and this was at a time when that was it was a weird thing to do yeah, like he got in trouble it wasn't for normal it or something yeah oh yeah a lot of, yep so <laughs> anyway yeah he and and uh and he 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 definitely for me epitomized that sort of mystical like like you're gonna dive into this song and then something's gonna happen that you can't predict and that's wonderful you know like that yeah yeah that's a good distinction because I think for a lot of people when they think worship music they think the traditional stuff that you get um the, the, where the lyrics are up on stage on Sunday mornings and it's kind of kind of empty and you're just singing things because. It, sounds right and you have to say jesus a certain amount of times like in the song for it to be a worship song where your your worship songs and the reason why i always considered you my favorite christian artist was because it was like honest and it was real it 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 didn't it didn't seem like you're saying the same thing that everybody's saying over and over again it was something that like 
Um, yeah. does, that, does that make sense? Like, I mean, yeah. there's this, the storytelling part of it, but then there was also just the vulnerability and, and honesty that it's not, it wasn't, didn't seem like it was made for the four walls of a church, but it was definitely worship music. Hmm. That's, that's, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting over the years I've had a lot of people, not a lot, I've had people say, basically like I hate worship music but for some reason there's something about what you're doing that that connects with me and so I mean and I it's kind of a weird thing though too because I I I think most artists are usually saying one thing over and over and over <laughs> I mean not that you're really aware of it but like that you you have your themes and you have you have the the places of deepest emotional um, and res and spiritual or however you think about things, um, sociological resonance that you tend to return to. So if I look back over my writing over the years, I've, I've gotten better at writing songs, but I do kind of return to some of the same things over and over and they're, you know, and so I think it's, uh, I, I would guess part of what's going on with people is that whatever those themes are that I'm wrestling, that I come back to all the time, for some reason, at some point in their life, those themes resonate with them. And, and it's it's uh you know there's a there's some way in which that's helpful so well you were talking where's rescue me fall in line with this because rescue me yeah i don't know that song what song is that you to rescue me <laughs> I didn't send you that one, but you have it in your your thing. That would have been um... <laughs> You remember that now? Oh. I remember it now, yeah. <laughs> that As would you... probably be the oldest thing that you have. <laughs> I hope. Because if you have anything older than that, it's really bad. <laughs> um, so, so starting I mean, chronologically, this... <laughs> I think that kind of... We'll start there. For, for me, that... that... When I think Jonathan worship era, for me that kind of like is is the idea. Like it's yeah, fun, yeah, yeah. like yep. fun jam bandy kind of connect for me the the folk side, the jam band yep. side of it, and like yep. yeah, just yep. There's an honesty, but a funness to that song. So yeah, that 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 would have been kind of at the early phases of the worship stuff. So that would have been late nineties through the early 2000s. Um, yeah, that's great. And and what and the where that era ended for me was I was playing at a at a youth convention. I don't even remember what city it was. Um on some backstage cuz I mean I was too weird to be on the big stages, but um <laughs> but but I was I mean I was there and it was in this building that was like a huge bubble. Um and it really I mean literally it was like round and one night I went out and some band was playing in the, and the, and the space around the convention center was filled with people. And I remember sitting there thinking, this is like such a literal metaphor of my life and my music at this phase. I've got to get out of this bubble. I've just got to, I've got to go. And, and, uh, so that's kind of when I stopped, uh, or when I moved into the next phase of my writing. Um, which the first record I did in that phase was called uh, Seconds to Sunrise. And that's, I started, I started playing uh, coffee shops and here and there a, a bar if it, if, if it worked with what I was doing. And, and I was still exploring spiritual themes, but I was trying to write, uh, I was trying to write um, things that would connect 
outside of a church and outside of and, and even outside of people having some kind of faith commitment to Jesus or Christianity or that tradition, um, but still trying to draw on the on the language and the things that were most meaningful to me. So that was that was really like a. Uh, a different way of writing and thinking. And again, I think I, I returned to the same themes I had done before, but I was trying to find different paths in and out than I had, than I knew before in that. Um, yeah. Cause it just, it, it felt, it was that moment walking out of there. It was like, it was just, knew I knew, I knew it had, I had to do something. I had to, I had to go into a new place. So those defining moments uh, like you can look back and be like, that's a definite shift. And what would you say? Did you send us anything from that album? Seconds of sunrise. Um, like there's a song called sunfire faces on there that, um, is probably to me, at least the most important song. And it's one of the ones that, that has lasted in some ways. Was a little bit hard waking up today Feels like it feels when you're far away Over the ocean or across the street Makes no difference, it's the absence of sweetness Breezing the air like a rush of spring Seems like a wild bird wondering where to begin So upstream and draw me along This might take a while but not too long This could be the day you say This could be attempt to try to do what I just talked to you about like that song was actually the first one where I started like trying to find other paths to the same sort of questions and meaning and stuff that I was dealing with yep um I think what strikes me about some fire faces thinking about that last conversation the last thing we were talking about with with how you were describing the music when you first heard it um, the peak of the era that I was writing that stuff was a what I was a farewell concert I did for the project that uh, the band I had called JRL that I we were together for four or five actually I think six years um, and we did a farewell concert and I had a huge 
conglomeration of musicians on stage. We, I mean, we had like four lead guitarists and that song came alive like the way it had always meant to come alive. <laughs> Finally at the end when we were hanging it up. Um, and it did, it did have like that sort of jam bands, like we got into improvisational space and people knew the music well enough by that point that you had the whole thing happening where, you know, people know the songs. And so which it was it was kind of it was a nice sort of end of an era because i mean thinking about it that phase of writing starting as i stepped outside of the out of that you know the youth dome and then that block of time till the end of that band was pretty much a a a pretty pretty focused and clear way of thinking about music and working at music and and i the band i worked with we were mostly consistent during that time I did tour solo some during those years too, but but a lot of the songs they really did need a good band, and so they kind of limped along in a lot of situations. But then here and there they flew, you know. <laughs> so yeah, that I remember probably you best for the JRL project. Though. Okay, that's I think that's yeah. when I was diving deep into your music, and it makes sense now looking back because you said that was kind of. Um, the word gets used around here a lot maybe a deconstruction phase for at least like your music coming out of yeah, being yeah, full, yeah, yeah. Uh, full yeah. worship time to, to more just yep. um, but still connecting with um, what you said was meaningful for you so that it makes sense um, hearing you describe that why it connected with me so much back then um, yeah and um, another song I don't think it was on that album but uh, that I connected with a lot too that was past yourself yeah you don't know me as well as you thought you don't know me that well you don't see me quite as clear as you think you see you don't see me that clearly I am not what you tell yourself I am not what you're trying to sell to me I'm actually something else you might see If you look past your picture of me Talk past yourself into me and I don't like all the things that you think I like I don't like all that you do I don't despise everything that you think I do don't hate all that you do and I'm not what you tell yourself I'm not what you're trying to sell to me I'm actually something else you might see If you look past your picture Talk past yourself into me So, uh, yeah, tell me a little bit about like where you're at when you're writing that. Yeah, most, most of the songs that I write, I, I sit down with a feeling, maybe an I usually some combination of a feeling and an idea, and then I just write. Um, this one was very different in the sense that I I was sitting at a restaurant or a cafe and this couple next to me were sort of arguing although the 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 guy was just it was just horrible he was not listening to anything she was saying and it was so painful it's like one of those situations where you're, you feel like you should do something but what could you do um and so I went home and wrote the song because it was just such an intense sort of dysfunctional, painful 
thing to to watch and that was in public so who know you know i mean like this yeah so anyway so i wrote the song out of that and it's basically an exploration of the idea that that we you know we don't know each other the way we think we do a lot of times and we have all these assumptions about each other that are based on any number of things including things that were true in the past but have changed um and so <laughs> the great thing about that song so that's why i wrote it and then as soon as I started playing it, it connected with people. It was one of those songs that just immediately, like, people resonated with it. And um, so as a band, we played that one as JRL a lot. And my little sister was in this band with me. And uh, and we, we, like, we would fight tooth and nail the whole, like, so it was just, like, we're both kind of strong personalities and, and – uh, you know, we would just argue all the time. And then one day we were playing that we we're playing past yourself and it like dawned on me, like this is song is like exactly what I'm doing with my sister in this band. I have, all, I'm thinking about her as my little sister that, you know, like, and she's a adult and she's her own person. And somehow I'm still like, I'm just not even seeing her and I'm singing the song all the time. And so it was, it was really, illuminating and helpful and just like even though I knew all that stuff it kind of it made it visceral and vivid for me and um and actually it really helped our relationship too like because I mean a lot of it was my problem I just didn't get it um so. was this at the beginning of the me too movement or later on <laughs> <laughs> yeah right <laughs> sorry so yeah, yeah. I mean yeah. I think, again, um, just relating it back to the whole church world, because that's what I was deep in at the time when I was listening to you know, your music a lot. Oh, okay. And uh, so for me, it was it was kind of like the people that were closest to me, I felt like they didn't know me. I felt like they knew I, this part of you and there was all this. Yeah. And so it was when I was singing it, when it was like, you know, connecting with me, like it resonated yeah. with me. That's, that's kind of where it was vibing was the whole, like this community of people that I'm in. Like, I, I don't feel like I can really be myself, whether it's, it's not necessarily their fault, but they, it's like, they create, like you said, people create this image of you who they mm -hmm. want you to be. And you, yep. and, and especially, and religious organizations and communities that I was yeah. living in because I was living community life at that time too. Um, it's really hard to break out of their expectations. So, or I don't know if it's even an expectation because it's not even fair to like, it's a subconscious thing. You know, people are just like, that's who they expect you to be. And then that's, that's the only thing they're going to see. Yeah. And I think there's, I think, I mean, I think, it's probably heightened in religious context or certain religious context. Um, but it's a human thing too, of just like, I mean, we all group together in our little groups and then we, you got to have some frameworks and some agreed upon things that you value. And then it's so easy to like those things that sort of draw you together, then becoming sort of this stricture or this framework that, that you know that you exclude people by or you put weight of responsibility or expectation that that doesn't even make sense without realizing you're doing it and it's worse when you're in like communities that that have sort of a defensive posture towards the world around them too i think yeah yeah it's harder it, it's funny we were talking again behind uh say behind closed doors or before the show started behind um, the curtain behind the curtain is that what you say like where, where uh, the wizard of oz lives where the oz is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um no but just how um we're booking somebody who is a cult expert for something coming up mm -hmm. in the future i don't want to put any spoilers out there i don't know when this episode is going to be released but uh it's got me thinking because my experience uh, with the strong leader that was in place um, definitely felt like I wouldn't call it full on cult, but it was enough. It was enough. Some of the same dynamic. Exactly. And, and I listened to this expert speak on a couple of their podcasts. He kind of broke it down where it's like, if, if it 
felt like one than it was one, you know, kind of like giving you the freedom to like, you don't have to like been in like Jonestown or, uh, like a Rashniki in order to like know whether or not you're in a cult. So, but, uh, because of that been on my mind, um, I've been thinking a lot about and, and rewatching stuff on Netflix, like Waco, which is, they put it out on Netflix recently. Um, and then wild, wild country with the Rashnikis. And is, is that, I'm saying that right. I think I feel, I feel like I'm Rashnikis. Rashnikis. I, I think I was mixing that up with Rafiki and getting the, <laughs> the, Raj, the Rashnikis. <laughs> Bag one. Um, might, might be a little different. I don't know. Might, might be. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> But anyway, so, but yeah, that whole, like you said, it seems like that is amplified in those type of religious communities or settings. And, um, it's hard to, to ever break free of until, until you are removed from it. But it's, if you watch any of those or into cults at all, you know, it's almost impossible to remove yourself from a cult without deprogramming. So anyway, I, I have I have three friends who grew up in a cult that actually ended up getting like the government came in and shut the place down because of death that happened. Wow! Um, it wasn't like it wasn't mass suicide or anything, but it was like uh, not going to the doctor type stuff mm. and and hiding their babies and <laughs> it's brutal. And so yeah, so I I I have you know had longer ongoing friendships with a couple people and they're all artists, man. They're all musicians or artists. Cause I, I think, I think that the arts create space that you got to have when you go through trauma. I mean, there may be other, I, there's a lot of other things that are needed too, but the arts do, I think help make that kind of space. And, and man, I think, I don't, I don't understand it, but, there's something, there's something, there's some places they can get to in their art out of that ridiculous stuff they went through that that's hard. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't know why it is. And, but there's something beautiful as well and powerful that, that in no way, I mean, it's not, yeah, I, I don't, I don't understand how that works out of something that brutal and bad that and maybe it's just all the hard work they do over the years, like the art in some ways is like it's taken to places because of all that hard work. I don't know. But isn't art kind of like informed by a lot of terrible things that happen in people's lives? Like that's, that seems to be a pretty big theme in creating music or creating artwork or whatever. It seems to stem out of some sort of lived experience of pain or, um, you know, some sort of experience where, uh, someone has to go through something really difficult. And then whenever they are processing it, they create something that kind of helps them get out of that. Is that not almost like a catalyst to create good art? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's a, it's definitely a morbid way to look at it, but I mean, pain produces the best art. It just does. Um, the best artists have gone through some sort of like, like, like you said, trauma or major pain in their life. You know? and, and until you can connect with that, like your, your art's not always going to be hollow. I mean, you can maybe have like just some talent that other people don't have, but until you can like connect to that pain, I mean, think about it. I mean, if you're talking music, you've got the blues, you're talking, you know, jazz and anything soulful. It's that's, that's, the best art maybe that's why so many artists like second and third and fourth albums like tank and suck because like they struggle you know all their life and they write this great first record and then after that they're millionaires you know or whatever and they have nothing to complain about (laughs) you know i i do some songwriting coaching it's it's one of the things i love most um and i had this conversation with one of one of the people I was working with recently about this whole subject. Um, and I, so I'm really, I'm still thinking through it and wrestling with it. Cause I agree with everything you guys said, but I also feel like why, why is it that you can create a song that takes you into a painful, dark space and, and like you, when the song really works, 
it's like you're in that space and that that space is everything. Nothing else exists for that little moment or that like and there's something about being able to go back in to that level of depth and then come out of it that sort of like frees you in some way. And like in some way you come out less less pinned into that spot. Um and I think, you know, and what I what I maybe it's just that the the psychological or sociological or spiritual functions of art that that's one of the most important things it does and so that's why we resonate with it most deeply there but i i keep getting bugged by this question of like why can i not go in why can i not write a song that takes me into a beautiful restful healthy spot and and engulfs me in the same complete way where that is the only thing that exists in the universe for that like that bit why is it so much harder to write that um, because you write folk music, you need to like just start out with a, with a nice beach reggae vibe. Just start, just start that Maybe there, and, hey. and see what happens. Hey. Is that the movies that <laughs> Yeah, but even my favorite Marley songs are not exactly happy. <laughs> We're jamming. And, okay, but but I but think that's not my favorite one. Yeah, yeah that's true. But I, I think that's just a person to person thing. You know, it's a yeah, it's a lived experience, and I guess, and you know, like I mean, if you gravitate towards what you gravitate towards, and, and like, you, there's no no point in trying to be something other than you are, I guess. And if you make if you make happy songs, then good on you for that too. But the problem well, that we're talking about, like I think, is one of the biggest problems I always had with quote unquote worship music, because you have somebody mm. that maybe wrote something real, something happened in their life. They, yeah. were, they wrote about that. It was real. Yep. It, it got popular. People connected yep. with it. And then all of a sudden, they get signed to a Christian label that says, now I need like five more of these in the next two years. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so go, so yeah. go have those experiences and write about them. Come yeah, on. Exactly. <laughs> I always hated the upbeat, peppy worship songs. They always seemed so cheesy and fake to me. You know, like mm. the ones that I really resonated with whenever I was a Christian were the ones that were somber and sad because hmm. like, honestly, Christianity, like the whole message is sad, you know, like you've been divorced from God and you have to figure out your way back, you know, through Jesus or whatever. I mean, that's a really sad image, you know? So whenever you have, I don't know, whenever I read the Psalms, I'm not moved by the ones where they're, you know, thankful or having a good day. I'm moved by the ones where David is like cursing the ground and, and, you know, pissed off and, and is wondering why, you know, like, I don't know. I, whenever I, whenever I think about worship songs, I always hated the ones no that way, were Chris. the, the, the best ones are ones that, that come with action movements. <laughs> if you don't, if you don't have to jump up and clap your hands or move a certain way with, with the rest of the white folk around you, then it's not, it's not a true worship song, but no, it's funny. I wish Elizabeth was here for this conversation because, um, Watching her, you know, work and prepare, and you know, working with churches, and you can talk, you can talk on this, I'm sure, Jonathan. It's like there is definitely a formula. You start out with the happy songs, and you work your way into the somber songs, and get everybody ready to. During a worship set, absolutely, you got to start out with the upbeat ones, and then you know, you you kind of gradually go into the ones that are going to have people on their their fucking faces wailing, you know, in misery. Like that's how you're supposed to end it. <laughs> With misery. Yeah. So 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 for you at that phase of your life, you should have just come in late and you would have been happy. <laughs> you weren't allowed to come in late, otherwise you're a sinner. You had to be there the entire time. <laughs> oh. Yeah. You have to go to Sunday school and church, you see. <laughs> yeah. And and several days a week. That's right. right. <laughs> yeah, especially if you live there. Oh man. But uh so one more song, Jonathan. This has been great. Okay. Um, honestly, we should have had you on for a Fade to Gray episode. And, I think and, so too, yeah. And, and, and talked for hours because these open mics are normally a little bit shorter. Um, but We All Got This is an, is another uh, is another one that is on that album I spoke about before. Now, I don't know if people can find that anywhere. And obviously, I'm going to have links to all of your music and projects and stuff you're doing. And we'll, we'll get into that. But um Every time I listen to the album, I don't know if it's just because it's the first song on the track or or, or first track on the album, 
that's that's the way to say that um, <laughs> <laughs> or what uh, but it's just it's just i can listen to it on repeat almost and it's just something you know we we all got this loneliness like it's not incredibly deep but it is incredibly deep at the same time and it's just something that like it, it connects us all it's something that like yeah. chris would love it because it's not a happy song but it's something that there's a still, comfort in being sad Omar. exactly that's what that's what it is it's 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 a comfort in like we're all in this together like you know i it, so. It's also comforting when you're actually being where you actually are and not trying to be something else. <laughs> Damn right. Day to day we rally, let it through the MTA that we all knew until you resolutely blew the cover off our hiding places. Prophets crying in their cubicles The angels holding up the firewalls The beat up boys and battered girls Our evidence enough that we've all got this Loneliness We've all
I, I do think I do think um I think you probably listened to that one because it's the best song on the record. <laughs> it kind of goes downhill from that. There's actually there's another so, there's another song on that record that's good, and there's the hit, know, just the one tracks. other one. Yeah, he had two. Hit, he had two hidden tracks on that album. <laughs> Bonus material. No. I mean, I listened uh, to the whole album, but like I, yeah. I I worked on that record for like two years. It's a lot of work, and like I was. I was going to do two different versions. Well, I did do two different versions of it, like a full band version and then just a live unplugged, like just sit in the studio with a guitar and sing it. And the I never released the one that was with the full band because it just did not get where it needed to get to. And now was what happened in one day. And so we worked for two years and <laughs> oh, released that one day. That's, that's funny how that works out. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Man, it's been a lot of fun catching up. Let's uh, so tell us how people what you're doing now um, with quarantine life. I've seen actually more of you now since quarantine uh, with the Facebook yeah. Live stuff, um, yeah, which is awesome. Uh, I can't see it right now in the Zoom call, but the ponytail, man, is, it looks like you haven't cut your hair since last ponytail. Time <laughs> Let's see this thing. It's it's it, it hidden up in here somewhere where it belongs. <laughs> But um, but yeah, and and you guys, we didn't talk about it a whole lot, but please plug it. Um, have incredible art that you and your wife, um, both do. Yeah, I saw um, the Instagram. It looks great, man. Oh, thanks. Yeah, like actually, Krista does her main art form is installations, <laughs> so she'll like create whole, you know, like a whole room in a in a museum or in a in a a venue, and so um, we're working on what will hopefully be a two year project that we'll be able to do at some point, which will have this space that you can go and be inside of. And then also the songs I'm writing, I'm going to, my idea is to record them within that space and sort of have there be an interaction between the art and the music for that. Um, there's also one, uh, I also have a friend who's starting a record label. And my hope is that, like I said, I've been writing songs consistently all these years I've been frustrated with most of my recordings and just finding the uh, finding a way to try to get what happens live onto a recording has been a lifelong challenge. It's tough, yeah. But this guy I'm working with, like in one session, he helped me get to some places vocally that I've never been able to get to with all the different all through the years and all the people I've worked with. So I'm really hopeful about the next project really being able to to be listenable from the beginning to the end. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm excited about that. Probably if people are interested in knowing more about the art or music, um, there'll be a link for our uh, Ruel update. So every month we'll send out just a, an email update that kind of describes what we're doing um, and what we're working on. That's probably the easiest way. And then on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome. I think my favorite personally uh, form of media that you do is just the – looks like hand-drawn almost with a pen. Is that yep. just a ballpoint pen that you use to, to, to yep. do those? And that's, I think that's probably my favorite. And are those for sale as well? Um, you know, I have not been selling many of those recently. Uh, but if you see something you like on the Instagram, just DM me and we'll see what we can do. Awesome. So. awesome. I may have to get get me an original or two. Oh, you should, man. That'd be great. I did just, I do do some commissions. I just did somebody's house. Um, and that was really fun to like try to find something interesting about a pen drawing of a house. So <laughs> speaking of doing commissions, I heard that you wrote a song for Omar and Elizabeth when they got married. And, uh, is that something you're still willing to do for people if they, uh, you know, are wanting to offer up some monetary, uh, uh, value for that? I, I have done it three or four, maybe five times over the years. And what I always do is we make an agreement that we have we have an interview and we set a we set a price if it works and then there then I I write it and if it works I get paid and if it doesn't I don't because man, like trying to speak into something that intimate and that important I I have to have a way to make sure that um I'm doing something that honors what's going on so so I I love doing that work, but it but that's the framework I need around it. <laughs> yeah, uh, Omar told me that the only reason that he and Elizabeth are still together is because of that song. Oh, I'm so sure I mean, that. it's powerful stuff. 
It's powerful. Now, if I would have only marketed it that way, I think probably I would have more gigs on this one. <laughs> I would recommend it. I mean, it was a time in my life when you wrote, wrote that song. You said that was 2012, I believe. Uh, that's, that's the date that I saw. That I, Well, I sent it to you then. I think it was before that. Okay, but... Um, it was in the height of me and Elizabeth working for that church, you know, working our, uh, knuckles to the bone, as they say, and, you know, burning it at both ends and just trying to make it work. And, um, I, you know, he asked me some very, you know, honest questions and made a beautiful song. And I was just listening to it before we started. And I mean, obviously I'm not in Alaska anymore. And like the chorus talks about like, like, but it, it just, it brought me back to, I remember the first time, I remember listening to that song, standing at the sink, looking out the window at the mountains as like, just like, this is perfect, you know? And, yeah. and so listening back to it, that's, that's the image that flooded my mind. And so, yeah, it's worth it. Um, I think I got lucky because you were offering it as a Kickstarter. And so there was yeah, like, yeah. you know, already kind of like some prices that were set and stuff like that. But, I would definitely recommend um, checking it out and check out the song right now. We're, um, it's playing and check out the rest of it. But uh, yeah, uh, check them out. Jonathan, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you. Love you. And uh, don't be a stranger. I'm standing in the summer sun With a whip in the poplar tree Please, please take this call Lean over the kitchen sink Too tired to talk or think Please, please take it all Yeah.
She's way too good to be what you have always said it would be Sometimes I dance around it I hope I really found it You'll find me down around the healing spring